you'll never take or make the journey from me to we without understanding and acknowledging that a me life is not enough. This message is the first in the series, From Me to We. The message is entitled, Where Do I Begin? Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, if you will, your teaching sheets as we get ready to dive into a new series of messages this weekend, the title of the series for the next several weeks, weeks from me to we. I want to talk to you this weekend about the beginning point as we discuss this whole idea of relationships. Let me encourage you to make a commitment to be a part of this entire series. We will at least go for somewhere between eight to ten weeks, I'm guessing, because there are lots of things I want to cover in terms of the relationship areas of life. But I want to start by giving us this beginning, this foundational message today that will guide us through the rest of our series together. One of the biggest problems in the world today, and although it's not acknowledged by many people, but we feel it, and that problem is loneliness. Actually, we've never been more connected in history in terms of the opportunity of making relationships, and yet, in many ways, less disconnected. Think about it in your life. You have the capacity right now in your world with your smartphone to send a text around the world, to call someone, to send them a message on Facebook to interact with people literally all the way around the world. Any of you remember the days of long-distance telephone calls, okay? Those days you actually had to pay for your phone calls. You had to actually watch the timer when you're making a phone call because sometimes it would be very expensive. And so our world has changed. We are very, very connected when it comes to these kinds of things, but yet we're also socially disconnected. In fact, social and psychological research that's going on today points to actually a very significant epidemic in our world today, an an epidemic that is, yes, psychological and relational in nature, but also leading to actual physical problems. Let me read you some statistics that have been found recently about the issue of social disconnection, isolation, and loneliness. Researchers have discovered that loneliness can have serious medical consequences. Studies have linked loneliness to heart disease, cancer, depression, diabetes, and suicide. A former United States Surgeon General has written that loneliness and social isolation are associated with a reduction in lifespan limited, or excuse me, similar, similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day and even greater than that associated with obesity. That's how serious it is. In fact, in January of 2018, the Prime Minister of Britain, Theresa May, made a declaration and established an official position in the government called the Minister for Loneliness. It's incredible to think about. We live in family units today that are many times far removed from extended family, sometimes families living across the country from one another, sometimes around the world from each other. We have this growing reliance on social technology that is actually robbing people of face-to-face interaction. In fact, it's amazing even when you see people sometimes in the same room, instead of talking to each other, they're texting one another. This is the kind of world that we live in, and it's resulting in this sort of isolation. Yes, we are around people, we are connected, but we are also very disconnected, and our relationships tend to be very superficial and many times less rewarding. You can be around people, you can have lots of people in your life, lots of friends on Facebook, and still be isolated and still be very lonely. And that's why I'm talking to us about relationships, because the Bible is a relationship book. 
The Bible teaches us the importance, the value of moving from a me life to a we life. This principle of moving from a me life to a we life is actually found in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, in the first two chapters. You see God moving mankind from the me life to the we life. Let me take you to Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. After God has created all that He created, He looked around at the world He's created, the man He created, and the Bible says God saw all that He had made, and what was it? It was very good. God looked at everything He created and said it is good. But something interesting happens when you go to the very next chapter in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 18. The Bible says God said it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. When God made the world, He said, everything's good. But then man, as He sees man in operation, says, it's not good for the man to be alone. This man, Adam, is living a me life. He needs a we life. He needs someone else in his world. We see in chapter 2, verses 19 through 25, God solving this problem, God creating the we for Adam Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they became one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. What I want you to see is that what God said was not good, he remedied by relationship. It's not good to be alone, but he remedied the problem with relationship. Adam was stuck in a me life. God's plan for Adam was a we life. And I will tell you today that God's plan for your life is not a me life. God's plan for your life is a we life as well. I'm going to talk to you today about some foundational principles that will allow you to get started in this journey toward a we life. And it's foundational. What I will share with you today really is establishing the beginning point of this journey. If you do not get what I'm sharing with you today, none of the other principles that I will talk to you about over the next several weeks will be meaningful to you or helpful to you because today's message, there are four facts I want to share with you that establish a foundation upon which every other relationship in your life needs to be established. I'm going to share with you four facts that form this foundation. The first fact is this. You and I must accept this and realize this, understand it, and and seek the answer to it, that there is a hole in your soul that only God can fill. There's a hole in your soul that only God can fill. Many people will spend their entire life either searching for that one relationship that will cure the pain in their soul or trying to make someone in their life give them the love and the attention, the affirmation, the approval that no human being is capable of giving. And a lot of us have spent our energy trying to find that one person that will just love us the way we need to be loved, love us the way that we want to be loved. 
or to give us the affirmation that we're looking for. We have this hole in our soul that is looking for love. And the deepest need in our life is not the need for a relationship with people because people can never give you all the love that you're going to need for your life. People can't give you all the affirmation that you're going to need for your life. The greatest need in our life is not for people. Our greatest need is for God. And what's aching inside of you and me today is, is an ache, a hole in our soul that only God can fill. And many times we're trying to fill up that hole in our soul with people, and it will never, ever satisfy us. I think about Jesus when he was on the earth. When Jesus was living among us over 2,000 years ago, he came to the world born of the Virgin Mary, and he came as fully God and fully man. This is important to understand. Jesus was fully God. He's the divine Savior. We understand this. But He was also fully man. He was full humanity. In His humanity, Jesus had moments of sorrow where He would share tears and shed tears. And He had moments when I believe He had had laughter with His disciples and, and levity with His disciples. And there were moments when Jesus, as a man, felt hungry and times that He felt thirst. He was a human being just like we are, fully God but also fully man. And in his humanity, what we see in Jesus is we see him nurturing, connecting in his relationship with God. What sustained Jesus while he was on the earth was his ongoing connection with his Father. Let me give you a few examples of this in the Bible. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. See, the love that Jesus needed first and foremost was not the love of His apostles or disciples. He needed the love of His Father. And I want to tell you that that's the love that you're looking for in your life. That is the hole in your soul that only God can fill. John chapter 5, verse number 19, or 19, yeah, 19, Jesus made this statement very truly. I tell you, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only do what He sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Talking about the amazing, deep connection that Jesus had with His Father. We see in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, this daily commitment to relationship with His Father. The Bible says very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where He did what? He prayed. Why did He pray? Because He wanted to nurture His relationship with God. I will tell you and submit to you this morning, if Jesus needed, if Jesus sought, if Jesus worked to stay connected with His heavenly Father, how much more should we? We need. God in our lives. There's a story that we find in John chapter 4 that I want to draw to your attention because it gives an example of a lady who was looking to fill a hole in her soul with relationships that would not satisfy her, and Jesus brought to her attention the deepest need of her life. The story is found again in John chapter 4, beginning in verse number 3. I'm going to read down uh, through uh, several verses. I'm not sure exactly where I'll stop, but I'll read the whole story. It's found through verse 26, but I'll read to lay the story out for you. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Jesus heard what was being said and abruptly left Judea and returned to the province of Galilee. So he's in Judea, which is in the southern part of Israel. He's going to go to Galilee, which is in the northern part of Israel. And he had to pass through Samaritan territory. So between Judea and Galilee, there was this territory called Samaria. 
And so to get to the north from the south, you had to obviously travel through that territory or bypass it, which many Jews would do because the Jews did not get along with the Samaritans or the Samaritans with the Jews. But the Bible says that Jesus made a, a very clear dis- decision that he was going to go through Samaria. I believe the reason that he did so is because of what happens in this story. He knew that there was someone there that needed him. So let's continue on with the story. Jesus arrived at the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph long ago. Wearied by his long journey, he sat on the edge of Jacob's well. He sent his disciples into the village to buy food, for it was already afternoon. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink of water. Surprised, she said, why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water? Jesus replied, here's a key statement, if you only knew who I am, obviously the Messiah, and the gift that God wants to give you, you'd ask me for a drink, and I would give to you what kind of water? Living water. So stop there for a moment. Here's a lady. Jesus is sitting by the well. He's taking a moment to rest. And a lady, a Samaritan woman, comes up beside him, and Jesus says, give me a drink of water. And they go into this conversation about water. And then finally, Jesus said, if you really knew who I was, if you understood who I am, you'd be asking for something that could satisfy you at a deeper level than you've ever been satisfied, not just natural water. I have water to give you that is living water. Verse 11, the woman replied, but sir, you don't even have a bucket, and this well is very deep. So why do you, where do you find this living water? Of course, she's not understanding what's going on here. Do you really think that, that, that you are greater than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well and drank from it himself, along with his children and livestock? Jesus answered, notice again, if you drink from Jacob's well, what will happen? Help me out, church. If you drink from Jacob's well, you will be thirsty. How, how much? If you drink from the wrong well, you're going to stay thirsty. Are you hearing me? You keep drinking from a well that you think is going to satisfy you. And I will tell you, you keep drinking from the wrong well, you're never going to be satisfied. He said, if you drink from Jacob's well, you'll be thirsty again and again. But if anyone drinks the living water I give them, they will never thirst again and will be forever satisfied. I love this. Jesus said, if you could just tap into the water that I want to give you, you can find the fulfillment, the thing that will satisfy you, not just for your life, but for eternity. It's living water. And he goes on to say, for when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit springing up and flooding you with endless life. The woman replied, let me drink that water so I'll never be thirsty again and won't have to come back here to draw water. And I want you to notice something. What have they been talking about to this point? Help me out. What have they been talking about? It's the right water. Okay. What have they been talking about? Water. Okay. Natural water, living water. So the whole conversation has been around water, right? Now, notice what happens here. Jesus now shifts the conversation from water to something you haven't even talked about yet. Notice now in verse 16, Jesus said, go get your husband and bring him back here. But I'm not married, the woman answered. That's true, Jesus said, for you've been married five times and you're now living with a man who's not your husband. You have told the truth. And she goes on to say, well, you must be a prophet. Here's what I want you to see here. And I'm going to stop reading at that point. You can read the rest of it on your own this afternoon or this week. 
tremendous story. She goes on to experience relationship with Christ, lead her old village to Christ. It's an amazing story. But here's what I want you to see. What have they been talking about at the well? Water. And Jesus said, if you knew who I was, if you understood, really understood who I was, you'd be asking me for water that would satisfy you forever. And she doesn't quite get it, so Jesus turns the corner and says, go get your husband. The reason that Jesus asked her to go get her husband, he knew that she didn't have a husband. She knew, he knew that she'd been married five times. He knew that she had spent her entire adult life trying to satisfy the longing in her soul with man after man after man after man after man, five marriages to the point that she got to the place she, didn't want, she did not want to commit to anybody else because she'd been so hurt and broken in her life. And Jesus was saying, none of that will ever satisfy you. I'm the only one that can satisfy you. Okay? And if you're looking for a man to satisfy you or a woman to satisfy you or a friend to satisfy you, if, the, if that hole in your soul, if you're looking for that kind of water to satisfy you, you'll go, after, you'll go through relationship after relationship after relationship after relationship, and you will be disappointed just like this lady was. Jesus said, you need to drink the water that I can give you, the water that will satisfy you. Dear ones, understand something. There's a hole in your soul that only God can fill a man cannot feel it. A woman cannot feel it. People cannot, friends cannot feel it. If you don't get that hole satisfied by Jesus, you'll go through your whole life drinking from wells that will not satisfy you, okay? So the first principle, we're going to talk about relationships for the next few weeks. I'm going to talk about all kinds of things when it comes to our husband and wife relationships and our marriage and our family relationships and our friendships. I am going to talk about those things, but if you don't get this, you're going to miss everything else as a part of this journey. You've got to understand that there's a hole in your soul that only God can fill in your life. The second fact that I want to give you today, very important as well, there's help that you need that only God can provide. Part of what you and I look for in relationships is we look for help. God made Eve as a helpmate, a helper for Adam and Adam to Eve. And many times in life, we find help through human relationships. That's true. But there's some people, some things that people can't help you with. There's some things that you'll find yourself in in life that you can't get help that you need from another person because you need help that goes beyond what a human being can do for you. You need the help of someone that can truly help you, capital H, not lowercase h, helper, but capital letter H, the helper, the only one that can provide for you the assistance that you need to help you when you can't get through things alone, you can't get through things with people, you need something that is supernatural beyond your supernatural help from God. Notice the scripture here in Psalm chapter 18. I'm going to start in verse number six. It's an amazing passage. I love this passage because it shows God responding to people when we cry out to him for help. In my distress, notice this, I call to who? I didn't call to my husband, my husband, didn't call to my wife, didn't call to my friends, but in my distress, who did I call to? I call to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. Now, I want you to notice what God did when the psalmist called to him for help. This is going to encourage someone here today. For his, from his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. So we cry to God. When we cry to him for help, he hears our voice. 
And then verse 7 says, the earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountain shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens, and he came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness as covering his canopy around him. The dark rain clouds of the sky, out of the brightness of his presence, of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy with great bolts of lightning. He routed them. Now, don't you want somebody like that on your side, okay? So here you are in distress in life, and you don't know what you're going to do, and people are not able to help you. There's a God that can help you. There's help that only God can provide for you. Sometimes people can help you, but you're going to get yourself in situations where only God can help you. Psalm 18:29. with your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. Psalm 30, verse 2, Lord, my God, I call to you for help. You healed me. Psalm 121, 1 and 2, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians 2. 2, we had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Paul says we found the help of God. Hebrews 2, verse 18, speaking of Jesus, because he, Jesus himself, suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And Hebrews 4, 16, would you read this together with me aloud and loudly at all of our campuses. Here we go. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time and our time of need. We need the help of God before we need the help of anyone else. We need a relationship with God that is personal, that gives us access to His help. There's a hole in your soul that only God can fill, and there are needs in your life and help that you need for your life that only God can provide. And the third fact that I want you to remember this morning as we're laying a foundation for this series together, there's insight and wisdom that only God can give. Your own insights, your own wisdom is limited. The wisdom and the insights of other people, limited as well. I'll prove this to you. Have you ever had a problem before that you were like, confused about, not knowing what to do, and so you said, you know, I'm going to call a friend. I'm going to talk to one of my friends about this, right? So you call one or two of your friends, you share with them your problem, and you talk, try to talk it out with them, and then after you've had the conversation with them, you are more confused than you were before you talked to them, okay? You ever had that before, right? Like, I thought you were going to help me, okay? I thought you were going to give me some wisdom and insight. But here's the, here's the issue. The problem is, they're not any smarter than we are, right, okay? We're all human beings, right? And so it, they, they may be able to help you along. There's nothing wrong with seeking advice of people. But I'll tell you something. There are times in your life you need wisdom and insight that goes beyond any friend you've got, okay? Any thinking that you can come up with, you need, you need access to a God that can give you wisdom. And I often tell people, or I like to remind myself of this certainly, that if you're going to see better, you've got to go higher, If you want to see more clearly, you've got to go higher. If you want to see what's on the horizon, get on the top of a mountain because then you can see a lot further. 
And any time that you and I want to see better, more clearly, we've got to go up higher. We've got to tune ourselves up with God. We've got to rise above the clouds to see the sunlight of God's wisdom and God's grace. You need a source of insight and wisdom that is beyond yourself and beyond other people. While people are great and wonderful, you need something that will give you that which is beyond people. In Psalm chapter 111, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What is the beginning of wisdom? Not relationship with people, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow His precepts have good understanding. To Him belongs eternal praise. Proverbs 2, 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask your neighbor. Is that what it says? No, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. We need the wisdom and insight of God so that we understand the difference between right and wrong because only God truly knows what is right and what is wrong and what is better and what is best. Only God can give you the wisdom that you need about yourself. Only God can give you the wisdom that you need about the relationships in your life. Only God can give you the wisdom that you need about the decisions that you're making with your life. You need wisdom that goes beyond human wisdom. And I will tell you with this, you tell you this, that you need a relationship with God that gives you access to wisdom and insight. There's a hole in your soul that only God can fill. People will never be able to fill that hole. It was made just for God down in your soul. A hole in your soul that only God can fill. There's need, needs that you have for help in your life that only God can provide. There's wisdom and insight that only God can bring you. And the last fact that I want to give you this morning to remember is this. There are destructive patterns in your life that only God can change. I want to say it again, there are destructive patterns in your life that only God can change. You need a relationship with God because you and I have personal problems, we have personal issues, we have personal brokenness, we have personal sin that we can't fix ourselves and that no one else can fix. You have some stuff going on inside of you that only God can fix. You know what your biggest problem is in life right now? I'll name your number one problem in life. Your number one problem in marriage, your number one problem in friendships, your number one problem in life is you. It's me. It's the issues that are going on inside of us. We're all broken people. We're all sinful people. And what happens at times, especially in relationships, is we spend a lot of our time trying to fix other people, don't we? In fact, that's what a lot of married couples do. They spend... They're the bulk of their married days trying to fix one another. My wife and I have been married for 41 years. She's been trying to fix me for 41 years, okay? I'm still not fixed. I've been trying to fix her for 41 years. Every time I try to bring her up on my operating table and say, I know exactly what you need. I make things worse. I don't make them better. I make things worse. When she tries to work on me, she makes me worse. She doesn't make me better. Why? Because we can't fix each other. We both have our own issues. And so when I'm trying to fix her, I'm actually bringing my issues in over on her. And when she tries to fix me, she brings her issues in over on me. And so all we do is we make a bigger mess of things, right? And so what you and I must understand is that everybody here, we've got sin, we've got issues. We need God to help us. Amen? Before we get started trying to help somebody else, we need God helping us work on the stuff that's going on in our life. If you're married here today, when you got married, you brought a whole bunch of baggage into your marriage with you. 
You brought a bag of stuff with you, emotional stuff and background stuff and experiences of other relationships and experiences from your family and expectations that you had from what you grew up experiencing. If you brought all that into your marriage, you just dumped it right over on your spouse. And they brought their bag and dumped it all over on you. You wonder why you've got such a mess going on in your marriage. I'll tell you why. It's because you're dumping your baggage on each other. What you need to do is realize, I need to get with God and let God sort through my baggage. Amen? Are you with me today? Because we've got the baggage going on in our life. And there's stuff going on in you and me that only God can change. Let me tell you a story from the Bible. We're going to read a little bit of it in just a moment from John chapter 3. It's a story of a man who was one of the nicest men you would have ever met during Jesus' time. He was a very religious guy. He was well-respected. Most of people, when they heard his name, would have said they would have given him high recommendations as a very moral person, a man of integrity, a man of great quality. He was part of the religious Sanhedrin of his day. And the Bible says at one time, Jesus, this man came to Jesus at nighttime. His name was Nicodemus, and he begins to inquire of Jesus about certain things. And Jesus turns the whole conversation on this very nice man, and in essence, he says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, let me tell you, before we go any further in this conversation, you've got a problem. You need to be born again. There's a problem down inside of you. You don't even see about yourself. Oh, you're nice, yes, but you still have a sinful heart. You need to be born again. And Nicodemus said, well, I don't understand. I'm paraphrasing here, by the way. Jesus, what do you mean being born again? How can an old man get born again? I can't go back in my mother's womb and be born again. What are you talking about? And Jesus responded with these words in John chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. For the natural realm can only give birth to things that are natural, but the spiritual realm gives birth to the supernatural life. You shouldn't be amazed by my statement, Jesus said. You must be born from above. Dear ones, let me tell you something. The beginning journey, I hope you listen with your heart right now. Your beginning journey with God working on you starts with you having a personal relationship with God. And every one of us, we start that relationship with God by being born again. You've heard the phrase, born again Christian. It's thrown around lots of different ways, but it's actually a biblical term. It's something that Jesus used. And I don't, wanna, I don't want that term to get negated by some concept we have in our mind about what it means. But to be born again means that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were broken on the inside. We were sinful. We come to Christ. We acknowledge that He died on the cross for our sins. And He rose from the grave on that third day that He's the living Savior. We invite Him to come into our lives and take charge of our lives. And when He does that, He... He breathes His life into us, and we come alive on the inside. We come to this place where Jesus is living inside of us, and He changes us from the inside out. We're born of the Spirit. And every person here, if you've not been born of the Spirit, that's where you need to start today. It starts with a relationship with God, being born of the Spirit, being born again. And the good news is Jesus is as as close as the mention of His name. If you'll reach out to Him, He will come to you today, and He'll do something miraculous inside of you. It's called a conversion. It's called being born again by the Holy Spirit, because your biggest problem is not your sin problem, it's your dead problem. You're dead on the inside until Jesus makes you alive. Okay. So there's this moment that Jesus has this conversation with Nicodemus, and there's this interaction which ultimately leads to a verse of Scripture as he's talking with Nicodemus that everybody here is familiar with. 
John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Nicodemus, that's what you need to do. And if you've never made that choice today, I want to encourage you to let today be your day as the Holy Spirit is drawing you to say, this is my day to begin my relationship with Christ. Take a look at what happens when we do this. Romans 3, 23 and 24. For, all, for we all have sinned and are in need of the glory of God. Yet through His powerful declaration of acquittal, God freely gives away His righteousness. His gift of love and favor now cascades over us, all because of Jesus, the Anointed One, has liberated us from the guilt, punishment, and power of sin. That moment that you invite Christ into your life or you renew your relationship with Christ, there's this liberation that comes to us, liberated from guilt and punishment and the power of sin. Romans 8, 1 and 2, the Passion Translation. So now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the Anointed One. For the law of the Spirit of life flowing through the anointing of Jesus has liberated us from the law of sin and death. There's only one, one, one that can liberate you from the law of sin and death, and that's Jesus himself. Your spouse can't do that for you. Your kids can't do that for you. Your friends can't do that for you. Only Jesus can liberate you from the law of sin and death, and he will do that for you if you ask him. Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us how. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We can also say there, you'll be born again. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Verse 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, will be born again. You call upon his name, he comes into your life, and he liberates you from that problem on the inside called sin. He gives you the opportunity for a new beginning, and he begins to work on your baggage. Okay. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Living Bible says, when someone becomes a Christian, let me stop there for a moment. I want to remind you this morning that being a Christian is not a religion. The word Christian means Christ follower. That's what it means. The word Christian identifies us not with a religion. It's a relationship word. We're in a relationship series from me to we. And the first me to we is not me to your spouse, me to your children. Your first me to we is you with God. You and your relationship with God. And so when someone becomes a Christian, someone becomes a Christ follower, someone comes into relationship with Christ, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. See, there are destructive things in you and me that will destroy every other relationship in our life unless we allow God to change us. There are things in you and me that if we don't allow God to address them, they spill over from us to the people around us and impact and infect and poison their lives. And that's why you and I need a relationship with a God that can change the destructive patterns in us so that we have something healthy to give other people. I want to produce health in my relationships. How about you? And I can't create a healthy relationship if I'm an unhealthy person. Unhealthy people can't create healthy relationships. Are you with me? And so I need to let Jesus begin to save me and change me and work in me and create health in me so that in every other interaction of my life, I'm bringing more and more health to my marriage, to my friendships, to my children, to my grandchildren, that I'm imparting health because health is happening to me as I'm growing in relationship 
with Christ. Our first me to we is the starting point. The me to we is not a starting point with people. It's a starting point with Almighty God. On the left-hand side of the aisle, I'm going to ask you to reach down. There's a purple bag there on that left-hand side of the aisle. If you reach into that bag, and if you'd like to have one, we've prepared for you this weekend a little wristband called from me to we. And the reason we're giving you these is because we want you over the next several weeks, if you'd like to wear them, these are available for you. It's a good little reminder for you to be thinking about relationships in your life. And we encourage you, if you will, just take one so we'll have plenty for everybody, but you're welcome to have one if you'd like to and just pass it right down the aisle and, and wear it as a reminder because sometimes you need to be reminded that God didn't create you for a me life. God created you for what kind of a life? A we life. And that we life starts where? It starts with our relationship with Almighty God. There's a hole in your soul that only God can fill. There's help in your life that only God can provide there's wisdom and insight that you need in your life that only God can bring to you and give you. And there are destructive patterns in all of our lives that only God can change. This is the beginning point. This is where everything starts. It starts with our relationship with God. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father, I just want to thank you for each person present today in this beginning of this new series. Thank you for every person, Lord. We know that you love each one of us. You love each person here with an amazing, incredible love. You have such a wonderful plan for every life here today, a plan for our relationship with you and a plan for our relationships with others. And I pray this morning that as we've studied, Lord, this wonderful principle, this truth that we need you first and foremost in our life, I pray that you would cause us to recognize that in a deeper way than ever before. And I pray that we would, Lord, if we know you, I pray that we would re renew our relationship with you, refresh our relationship with you. Let us come back to that place of making sure that you're number one in our lives, Lord. And Lord, for those who perhaps have never received you into their life, maybe they've never been born again, they've never made that commitment to Christ, I pray that today would be their moment of putting their faith in you, Lord God, and knowing that you have this incredible plan for their future. And I pray that their heart would respond with a yes to you today. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. And you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God. And I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation 
old things pass away, all things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.